Welcome back, subscribers, loyal listeners, and friends of the show. And a special welcome to you, the new listener. You've tuned in to the Minds on B2B podcast. You've decided to spend a few minutes of your day listening to me and our guest. It's my job to make sure it's worth your while. So if that's my job, what's your job? Well, your job is to listen, stay informed, learn something new, and perhaps run with a new idea shared by one of our guests. After this episode, or after you've binged several, reach out to me and let me know how we're doing. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at dan.harris at mindson.com. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what you think about the show. And uh, if you're interested, maybe be on the show. Because you know what we say at Minds On? All of our minds together are better than any one mind alone. All right. Welcome back to Minds On B2B. This is Dan Harris. I'm your host. And we have a special guest today. I'm very excited uh, to introduce everyone on the podcast to Charlotte O'Neill. Let me give you a little background. So Charlotte and I have had a chance to work together uh, in a couple of different areas and in a couple of different businesses, and we've just become fast friends. And um, we're going to talk a lot about today about growth, what a growth driver is. Uh, Charlotte's going to share some expertise around uh, the R&D background she has, UI, UX, product management. Um, and then we even, prior to the call, had a conversation around voice of the customer and innovation. So uh, this is going to be a information-packed session. And uh, I'd like you to welcome Charlotte to the show. Welcome, Charlotte. Thanks so much, Dan. I'm so excited to be with everybody today. Thanks for listening. Uh, I, this is a really important topic to me. Yep. <laughs> uh, voice of the customer and really focusing on how do you grow through innovation and uh, through a really systematic connection to your customer base and making sure they're uh, involved in your development process and in your uh, your marketing story and your brand story yep. and everything you do to uh, take a new product to launch. Uh, you're probably all, all wondering, uh, how do I get the qualifications to sit in this seat and <laughs> talk to uh, you just the know, amazing Dan? You just know me. That's it. That's it. No, I think it's good that you kind of tell people your, your journey, right? Because yeah. that's what people care about. Um, where'd you come from? How did you learn this? What kind of hurdles did you overcome challenges did you face and you know uh where are you going i think those are all emotional things that people can relate to absolutely yeah so um i've been in the the upstream side of the product development and launch cycle for many years in many industries from international high tech working with the MathWorks and universal instruments uh, to ed tech and ed publishing with highlights for children and mcgraw hill education i i have launched i can't even tell you how many products and i i've been involved in the development from concept and business case all the way to launch for uh, at least 15 product launches in the past 10 years. So there's some things that I've learned from going through that process that really stem back to my earliest days in my career that have told me uh, amazing things happen when you really focus on what customers are telling you. Mm -hmm. A lot of us call it voice of the customer. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of an official term for, hey, Listen to what they're telling you. You know, watch them in their environment. Uh, learn what problems they're trying to solve. And then if you have a clear understanding of what are the problems you're trying to solve based on the needs of, of your customers, then you can go anywhere with that. And you can innovate in so many different ways. But I've just seen uh, so many cases where you know, you have a, a scenario where you're focusing on features and you're, you're developing and launching from an internal perspective versus uh, doing that 
whole process hand in hand with your customers, I can't tell you how much more powerful it is when you do it with your customers. Yeah, and I, I hear stories all the time where uh, major software companies have produced so many features and functions and roll out new new opportunities and new user flows and um, things like that. And the user is only adopting even 10% of what that functionality of that software is. Um, and so it, it's interesting when you say that because it, it, to create something and build a roadmap that is technology or engineering focused uh, may succeed, but you're doing a lot of work when you probably don't need to, right? Right, it might be wasted. Might like be. The worst scenario is you have a software engineer who's spending 50% of their time on feature A and it gets 5% usage. Yeah. You know, wouldn't it be better <laughs> to take the, the great intellectual capital of that developer and put them on something that is of highest impact to the customer? You bet. Uh, so yeah, and a lot of it is, is really, you know, first understanding what is the customer journey? What problems are they trying to solve? But then, you know, of the possible solutions and innovations for those problems, which one are which ones are great? Yeah. You know, you have to kind of put them through a test and say, is it going to have a lot of impact? Or is it high effort, low impact? If so, let's forget about those mm -hmm. <laughs> and let's focus on the ones that are maybe low, medium impact on a, on the development side, but amazing impact on the customers. Yeah, so. and I, I think too, the other thing you mentioned earlier, like, um, EdTech and, you know, at McGraw-Hill and Highlights for Children. Mm -hmm. Those are just two industries. But as we've talked, the practice of what you do is not industry specific, right? It's global. So can you talk about, um, even though you have that experience and that background, how you've kind of determined and created models to be able to span any industry and make a big difference? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it really... It's the same process I've used over and over again, and it's a lot simpler than people may think. <laughs> it's just getting a systematic approach to regularly, on an ongoing basis, finding a, a base of customers that you can reach out to and involve in the development process and make sure that you have clear user stories, you have clear problems to solve. You're always going back to what's the purpose of what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. uh, who's it going to help and why? Uh, so I, I've seen that model work no matter the industry because ultimately the method is listen to the market. So get deep, whether it's, whether I'm talking to aerospace engineers <laughs> or, uh, you know, teachers in a pre-K classroom, they all have the ability to articulate what problem they're trying to solve. And uh, if you have a, a systematic way of, getting their feedback on a regular basis, your products and your marketing story are going to be immensely better because of it. Yeah. So you mentioned um, user stories. Yeah. So give me an example at high level. What's a user story include? A user story, there are user stories and user maps. And uh, the, the user maps try to outline what's the, the journey of the user and the process they go through to use your whatever amazing thing it is. Okay. Um, and user stories get a little more specific. They say, I am a software engineer and I need to be able to do this. And then those user stories very clearly for the development team say, this is the problem you're trying to solve. What solutions might you be able to develop to help that customer achieve that goal that is stated in the user story. So mm -hmm. it really just helps keep the entire development team anchored in what the customer is trying to do every step of the development process. Yeah, and, and I, li I like that from the standpoint of Whenever you have clear user stories, you also know what the outcome is at the end, right? And right. if you work backwards from the outcome, there's probably some things you could 
do away with, right? <laughs> or there's some things you can add. And I think that's part of that. As we've talked, that's part of that process I learned from you is just to think about the end result and the outcome that you want. And then the user flow, the user story helps you get there. Absolutely. There's a, a concept in education that I, have, I haven't really heard this term in all my, the other industries I've worked in, but it's called end in mind. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a philosophy with uh, pedagogy or mm-hmm. you know, educational instruction where the, div- you know, the end, you've got to focus on the end goal first and then build backwards to that. It's, to some people, it may feel like reverse engineering, but to me, it feels like, I don't know, efficient engineering. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you're, you're focusing, you have a clear path that you're headed towards and you're building back from it. Yeah, and it applies in anything that you're talking about, too. I mean, my brother-in-law's a pilot, right? What does he do? He flies a plane. Well, he also has to be prepared for anything. So he goes into simulators, right? So they, they figured out the outcome of what they want to have happen, figured out how to simulate it, and then he gets tested every year on these various simulations that happen. Right. So, um, yeah, it, it's, everything we're talking about applies no matter if you're in education or aerospace. Yeah, and I, I can give you an aerospace example. Sure. Um, you know, if, when you, you focus on the problem. So the problem they were having at the time was um, aer- the aerospace industry was spending way too much in R&D and prototype testing. So uh, all the prototyping was happening with physical prototypes. Can mm. you imagine the cost of that? Uh especially the more failures you have, yeah. just reboot more material, more, uh, more people on the task building the next prototype. Um, so the big solution that the MathWorks produced was a, a program called Simulink, which enabled those same engineers at NASA, JPL, all the main auto manufacturers to pro- do most of their prototyping in a software environment through simulations. Yeah. So they could get... 90% there from a prototype perspective in software without, with a fraction of the cost that it was taking them to do it in the physical environment. So, you know, a simple concept. How do you reduce cost of prototyping solution, move a lot of that work into a, a simulated environment? Yeah, and get a, get a similar or greater result at the end. Yeah. Which is it's fa- fantastic. Um, so as we talk a little bit more about uh, the voice of the customer, um, if someone was in an organization right now and um, they heard this podcast, they go, well, how do I go about starting that program or what's included or what should I do? I think I think it's always important to, to help people understand what the steps are and sure. what they can actually accomplish. Yeah, and you can accomplish this. You know, it, it takes a village yeah. to kind of <laughs> shift this mindset and to always be thinking about the customer and everything you do. But uh, just from my experience, there are kind of five key things that you can focus on to make some serious movements in the direction of user-centered design and user-centered marketing. Uh, f- you know, step one in my mind, I mean, let's face it, every innovation, right behind that word is the word change, right? Correct. <laughs> yes. So people, some people are comfortable with change. Some people, it makes them want to bite their nails off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to understand uh, in the space that you're innovating in, what is the current reality of your customers? Where do you have to move them from to move them to a new, more innovative solution? Uh, and that understanding helps uh, not only give context for all the solutioning, uh, but it also helps de- helps you develop great implementation support for people making that transition to a new yeah. a new direction. Uh, but uh, the customer journey mapping, if, if you guys haven't heard about it, it's not that complicated. You're really trying to to sketch out 
okay, what steps do my customers go through in the buying process, in the decision-making process, in an implementation process? And in the, each of those steps, what are they thinking? What are they doing? How are they feeling? You know, what are their emotions when they are evaluating programs at the very beginning of that process? Do they have anxiety? Is there anything you can do to help alleviate that anxiety yep. because of um, you know, decision paralysis? I'd say also knowing the current customer journey is always also really helpful in having a litmus test for your ideas. Mm -hmm. So as you go from a clear articulation of all the problems you're trying to solve and you move into that ideation phase of how can we solve this in an innovative way, the customer journey is your foundation for all those ideas that come out of the creative process. So you can say, okay, I have this wonderful idea for solving this problem. How does it work when they are evaluating a program? Does that work also when they're starting to implement? Uh, is, it, is it helpful when they want to recommend this program to a friend? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the process gives you a constant frame of mind that is very customer first oriented. So when you, when you say the uh, buyer journey, how does it impact when there's multiple buyers? Because this is before they've implemented or before they purchase, when they're considering it, there's five, maybe six people involved. So Absolutely. do you map all five or six? You can, yeah. Wh whatever, uh, you know, I, I say customer journey. It's really customer journeys. Yeah. And in the tech space, we certainly had multiple layers of decision makers from the, the C-suite all the way down to the software engineer. Um, but the, you know, you could have a, a journey for the user. You could have a journey for the, the decision maker yeah. if they're very different. Uh, finance. I mean, they're they're the ones buying it. Finance. Support. IT. PD, yeah. uh, professional development folks. And is it? Um, I know you mentioned customer journey, but before they're customers, they're buyers. Yes. Um, and before that, they're prospects. So should those journeys be connected? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure. <laughs> it, you know, when I say customer journey, I think about the entire spectrum from when they first maybe came aware that there was a solution for this problem. Yeah. Uh, all the way through to what their first impression of you was or how they might think about going about evaluating all the possibilities within that category. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, all the support that they need as they make their decision. But then a lot of times I think people um, – kind of stop at the buying <laughs> and I think it's really important from a net promoter score standpoint and from a reputation standpoint to make sure that there is a smooth transition from buying to implementing so that's that's my recommended step number one understand your customer journey understand uh, understand it deeply and map it out and let it guide everything that you do okay so let's talk a little bit about um, as you start to map this out, what are some of the hurdles that you've recognized in organizations where you've been a part of that process and, you know, kind of what, what was the result and what was the experience like? Because I think experience is huge as you start to tell people about what you've seen, what you've done and the result. Yeah, I mean, part, part of the hurdle to, you know, moving to a growth strategy based on voice of customer is 
making sure you have the right people in place, making sure you have the right processes for advisory boards and online qualitative research and all of those wonderful things. Uh, but it's also, I think, at the end of the day, boils down to making sure you have enough time. Mm -hmm. Because user-centered design and uh, you know, product development and marketing based on voice of customer, it takes more time. But in the end, you're making things easier down the road. Because I can tell you, I've seen it time and time again, a product or a solution that is built on the customer wishes and needs, it's going to sell a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's really putting more time up in the front end to save time and effort later down the road because it's a natural fit for the market because you've studied and deeply understood uh, their behaviors and their needs and you really got into their shoes from a standpoint of empathy. Yeah, and I, I think the, that whole taking your time, creating a plan, working the plan to get that result is, is the ultimate. Um, but I know just working with startups and working with younger companies trying to get to market quickly to compete, um, they're under a lot of pressure to get something into market. And so they do, they prototype and get into market really quickly, fail fast, and sometimes just completely fail yeah. because they didn't plan. So I think there's, like in anything, there's got to be a balance, right? Right. And um, that's why I think from a from this discipline to be able to have a process that you follow that focuses on the voice of the customer, that eliminates a lot of those hurdles, is valuable. But at the same time, let's talk a little bit about how do you overcome that pressure? What kind of things can you do to innovate and um, get to market faster? Yeah, and... and you know, I do, I do say a user-centered approach does take more time, um, and, and sometimes you don't have that, <laughs> that extra time, <laughs> so you have to work around it. But one of the things that I've done is repositioned a launch in a way to become a more phased launch. There you go. So what you can do is get to market with a subset of the product and position it as here is our first take on this. We'd love your input and get rich customer feedback on that first beta and then roll out more and tell tell your market that, hey, what we're rolling out now is going to be so much better because we talked to a thousand people. Yeah. Uh, and you could just sort of spread get by yourself more time by s spreading out the launch in phases i could see that work really well instead of like holding it up behind the curtain and not announcing it or releasing it and then yep. just launching it into the world versus progressively introducing it to people and getting feedback on a consistent regular basis i know I'll creates champions for your software your product your company or whatever right absolutely and i, I think a lot of people feel like that's maybe uncomfortable to do to not have a full product when you launch, yeah. but it actually does two positive things. <laughs> One, it, it gives you an opportunity to get rich market feedback as you develop, but it also, it's kind of provides a teaser for the market. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's kind of a, hey, what are you guys up to? Feeling yeah. if you're just letting out a sneak peek and you can certainly position the first the first part of an iterative release as a sneak peek. I love and that. And kind of generate some market buzz around that. Is there an example, because I know when we talked before the show, you mentioned the example of Oculus and the VR component and how they rolled out into market. Could you talk a little bit about that example? Yeah, uh, so... <laughs> Oculus Go, th this is an area of innovation that I've been really focused on lately, virtual reality yep. and augmented reality. And how can, how can you leverage that to 
uh, get someone engaged in a story or get them engaged in reviewing a program. Mm -hmm. uh, we've used, at McGraw-Hill, we used Oculus Go for some experimental simulations and things of that nature. I was looking at, okay, would this kind of technology fit early in the customer journey to en engage someone to connect with the program in some way. Yeah, yeah. And we're finding that uh, it's obviously a new technology, <laughs> but there, uh, there are lots of amazing things that you can do with virtual reality. And uh, it's not just for product usage. It can be, be a great storytelling device. So I've done some experimental work with that and I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, we, we've experimented a little bit here with clients too and on the service side, right? So um, it was very fascinating to see someone innovate instead of having a mechanic work on a jet engine by themselves and stumble through things mm -hmm. to be able to have the goggles on looking at the engine and have the parts manu manual right there you could flip through and all if you ran across a problem you could actually connect with somebody who's an expert on that particular part of the engine Beautiful. and have a conversation right so right. yeah that it's it's thinking about how you do things no matter if it's a part of this learning process or servicing or maintaining process that's just fascinating. That strategy in particular was solving a cost savings problem too. Yeah. Uh, in that situation, heavy sample costs, heavy, you know, these Cadillac sample boxes were going out to everybody, no matter what stage in the buyer yeah. journey they were in. So a strategy like that would enable you to uh, allow that sampling at an early concept stage without laying out so much cost all the physical cost the shipping cost the mailing cost yeah. it's a yeah. little bit like the you know simulating the prototype it is yeah. it's all kind of connected <laughs> that's but pretty another cool. way you know when you think about how can you the, the problem that you're talking about is real like a lot of times you just don't have the time yeah to stop as much as you'd like to to get user feedback but there are some ways that i think uh i've seen you can sort of speed up getting that research uh I d and many, maybe many of you have played with this, but qualitative research, we all know, is incredibly critical for mm -hmm. upstream work, for product development, for branding and positioning strategies. It's absolutely critical. I mean, you, you obviously want to use your quant studies to confirm your theories, but the qualitative is so important. It's also very time-consuming in a traditional model because mm -hmm. you have to travel to multiple cities. You have to do all that recruiting. What I found is great is there's some really compelling ways to do all of that qualitative online through online insight communities, through heat maps, through file sharing. Hey, take a look at this uh, page design and lesson that we've constructed. Post your feedback in a social media style. Yeah. Uh, and they're just interesting ways to, to gather feedback in a digital environment that you really can't do in a focus group environment. Plus, I think a lot of times in focus groups, you have that dynamic of let me tell them what they want to hear. Right. <laughs> this way, if you're, you're really getting, you're almost doing an ethnography one-on-one -on -one with each of your respondents as they're absorbing what you're asking them to give feedback on. They're spending more time on it. They're posting it, and people could feed off of other people's feedback. Uh, that's just a, a really nice way to get rapid, agile feedback as you're developing. Because once you build an online community and a base of advisors, you could easily set up a group, say, hey, guys, I have something you, for you to look at this week. Yeah. Take a look, post your comments, by this date. Thanks so much, your amazing advisors. Yeah, and I think there's, all, there's always people in your community that want to be on the forefront, that want to know, that want to have... Uh, cutting edge insight into what's happening. So yeah, just being able to find those people and 
pull them together in a group, you're going to get some tremendous feedback yeah. in that process. And I think it also helps with the loyalty on the user side too, because they had, they contributed to your product. Right. Right. So they, they are a member of that product team. Yeah. And you know, the, the online qualitative is so much faster. I could do a focus group with people in three countries at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it's kind of an interesting thing. So if you're up against that, that struggle that I've always been up against, which is, gosh, not enough time was built into the process. <laughs> uh, think about online qualitative. Yeah. I'd also say um, if you don't have a usability lab, if you have any digital component to your solution, think about it's a usability lab. Um, I first saw this concept more when I was in the international tech space, but it's, it's not that complicated. You have a, a room and people are in and out of it all the time. There's a scheduler and there's someone standing over the shoulder of someone trying to use mm -hmm. something. <laughs> and there's just so much that comes through observational research that you don't get through what someone tells you on a survey or what they might say in a focus group or on a, a, a social media style discussion. Mm -hmm. You have to watch and learn too. Well, and I think the, another, just another tip, I've seen this happen uh, in my lifetime too, when we were testing products is we held uh, conferences, right? So customer conferences. And then we also did trade shows and we would go out in the market. Guess what? People are there. So give them an opportunity to participate in test drive. Yeah. Right. And then you can look over their shoulder as they do that. So especially at the customer conferences, they're your customers. Part of a customer conference is telling them what's coming up and what's new and having the ability to have that usability lab on site with feedback immediately saves you time. Also makes that experience, that moment at the show kind of more important uh, than just showing up and hearing presenters. Absolutely. So those are those are great tips. And I, I think. As we've talked uh, in the past, we're talking now, it's, it's all about collaborating and thinking and innovating um, from that perspective. So I, I have this question for you and I always I'd like to ask this. So let's talk about what's at stake if a company fails to innovate or um, even what's at stake if they innovate too slowly? Right, that's a great question. It, it's, these days it's detrimental to your business. These days, from my opinion, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, which is, I guess, why I'm here today, that the world is moving so fast. Things change so quickly. Businesses and solutions be reach commodity status at a pace that we've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, I believe that seamless, fluid user experience is an amazing way to differentiate yourself from the pack and uh, set up a trail of really happy customers that are going to speak on your behalf. So it's, um, it's really risky to not do this, you know, to make this mindset shift Yeah. because you can miss a whole market. I've, I've seen it happen before. Uh, an entire market changed within six months mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, topic A that was super high demand to A being no longer in the conversation and now B is all the focus. It's just, it's happening so fast and if you can deliver a solution that is as intuitive as Apple products, you win the day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it goes back to the, the stories that you, I think all, all of us have heard. I mean, what happened to uh, Blockbuster, right? Did they right. innovate? <laughs> no, they didn't, right? And then, you know, you think about television these days and uh, the, the networks and streaming, right? And how that's impacting things and innovating. 
Uh, customers are choosing what they want to watch, not being forced to watch something. And I think that day in and day out, there are probably businesses becoming extinct because they're not paying attention to the market and to the customer and at least innovating in some form or fashion to stay relevant uh, to the buyers. And I think the other thing too, for me, is I see this, I have daughters and you have children too. Mm -hmm. They're, they're learning faster than we ever did. Uh, they're experiencing more, uh, in a shorter amount of time and they're more, uh, digital than we ever were, right? It's their life because they grew up with it. And I think if in order for software companies and businesses, uh, who are moving down digital path or physical path, um, they're going to have to align to those new, younger, uh, more brilliant students that are coming up in the world. Right. You know, so I think what's at risk is potentially just being out of business, number one, losing market share, um, and even potentially from a standpoint of uh, operating in a market, the business could be extinct, but even the market could be extinct. Well, yeah, and the thing is, uh, it, it, say you just have, I don't know, Maybe this year is not a great year for innovative thinking. We're just going to take a rest on that yeah, for a while. Yeah. That can haunt you for a while. It's kind of like I'm a cyclist, right? So mm -hmm. if I'm riding with my group and we're going 20 miles an hour, if I decide I'm tired and I want to slack off for a little bit, they're five miles ahead of me before I can blink. Yeah. It's just. <laughs> That's a perfect analogy. Yeah. You know, so it's. it's it's one of those things where you want a ongoing practice of this philosophy and you want to make the mind shift as an organization and s set up, uh, you know, processes and systems and, you know, if you need an online insight community, whatever it is, work in tandem with your customers. And if you're in tandem with them and you're always plugging them into your story development, your brand development, your solution development, that innovation comes naturally. You won't miss the market because you're always talking to them. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's not as hard as it seems. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, I would think, you know, number one, uh, map your customer journey. Make sure you understand that well. Um, and make sure it's context for everything that you're doing. Make sure you have schedules that allow time for that user feedback, if at all possible. Yep. <laughs> if you don't, uh, turn to some of the suggestions that I had for more rapid feedback with, uh, you know, pushing a lot of your qualitative research online, uh, getting in an online advisory community, lots of ideas out there for uh, getting rapid feedback. Think about some of those strategies. And, you know, the last thing I would suggest uh, is really use the engineering design process. Yeah. I know this may sound scary for people if you're not in an engineering space, but it's a basic, simple, user-centered process that works whether you're talking about toothbrushes or rocket ships. Yep. <laughs> it's what is the problem we're trying to solve, plan some solutions, test them, you know, make changes based on that feedback from your testing, and then launch it, and then test it some more. You know, it's just a continual hey, we made this, what do you think? How can we make it better? You know, continuous improvement is really what we're talking about here. Yeah. And I think it, in many ways, that's a lot less scary term than this user-centered design that's floating out there. At the end of the day, the game is continue to improve. Right. And C continue to make your customers happy and create loyalty so that they come back and want to buy more, right? right. Or they want to engage with you more. Um, and I, th you know, I, I think we all have those brands that we're loyal to and if you actually think about it from a customer's perspective and you ask yourself, why are we loyal? Um, it probably is going to come back to the work that that company did to understand what I want, and what I need, and not so much about what they say they're going to give me. 
Well, you know? yeah, and also, if you involve customers in your process, they feel like it's their solution too. Yes. So they're, they're by nature, uh, that involvement, much more invested in the outcome and much more likely to, to convert to a customer. Charlotte, this has been a terrific episode and I learned a couple of different things. I mean, the importance of user stories and user maps and really trying to define what the customer is trying to do and then think about the end result in mind. Uh, I mean, it's just a lot of information packed in a short amount of time. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, hire you, uh, talk to you, uh, just get more information about this topic, how do they do that? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Charlotte O'Neill. I also have a website that explains my philosophy uh, for growth and the tools I've used to achieve it at www.growbyvoc.com. Uh, on that site, there's a contact form if you want to set up a conversation. So reach out. Let's talk. I'm happy to share uh, what I've learned because I think it's, uh, it's not rocket science, but these are the kind of practices. If you can make that mindset shift to being user-driven, customer-driven, it's going to pay off leaps and bounds. Yeah. Well, if you're ready to innovate and grow, you have to reach out, talk to Charlotte, connect with her online. Um, she's a brilliant mind. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much, Dan. Yeah, it's been fun. I'm going to have you back. We'll talk even more about uh, continuous improvement. All right. <laughs> Continue to improve, everybody. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's Minds On B2B podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe. Also, feel free to share this episode with your peers and colleagues so we can keep bringing you quality content from the best minds in B2B. Until next time, from all of us at Minds On, have a great week.